Man, we serve a good God, do we not? One of the ways that we can express our hope in God is by going to him in prayer. Will you please join me as we do that now? Father God, this morning we come before you and we know that you are a faithful God. We can see your faithfulness, Lord, in many ways. We can see it through your word that, that as it's faithfully preached and taught and as you proclaim your faithfulness to us in it. We can see it through your son who has faithfully saved us. We can see it through your spirit as you have given us new life. And we can see your faithfulness, Lord, in your church as you continue to proclaim that you are good to us. Lord, faithfulness is the very definition of who you are, and you call us to now fully trust in you. As we pour our hearts out to you, we trust that you will be true to your promises. Your promises to never leave us or forsake us, that sin will never overcome us, and that you will carry us to the end. While you, Lord, are faithful, we confess to you our unfaithfulness. That too often we, we make commitments and do not follow through. Lord, we are unfaithful to you in thought and word and in our deeds. We easily forget your promises. We trust in our abilities more than we trust in you. We believe that, that our problems will just go away if we can bear the burden rather than looking to you for your purposes in them. Lord, we pray that our hearts would look towards you and your faithfulness, that the hardships of our life would not overwhelm us. Lord, cause us to trust in the character of your goodness and faithfulness. May we find comfort in the truth of your promises and in nothing else. In the good times and in the bad, remember and remind us of your faithfulness to us. This morning, Lord, we are also grateful to you. This morning, we are specifically grateful, Lord, for mothers as we celebrate Mom Mother's Day. Lord, moms are the givers of life. A good mom is faithful, caring, tender, and has a heart of compassion. We each are only here because of a mother, that Lord, that you have given to us. And it's for this reason that we can be grateful to them. And in giving life to us, Lord, they have imitated you, the giver of all life. For some, Mother's Day, Lord, represents a time of great celebration, but for others, it is a day with many mixed emotions. We pray that in our excitement, in our desire to celebrate mothers, that we would also be mindful of those among us who are hurting, those who have maybe suffered broken relationships with their mom and are not speaking, those who have lost children, Lord, or who are unable to even have children. As a faithful mother cares and nurtures her children, Lord, I pray that we, your church, would care for those among us who are hurting today. I pray that in our celebration, we would care well for those, Lord, who, who may not share the same sentiments that we do. We pray, Lord, that this church would be filled with people who rejoice in another's joy and carry the burdens of others in their hard, hard times. Lord, we also thank you this morning for other gospel-preaching, Bible-believing churches here in the Portland, greater Portland area. 
This morning, we are thankful, Lord, for your faithfulness to Saving Grace Church in Milwaukee. We pray for Pastor Brian Winchester and that you would continue to use his preaching and the ministry of the word there among the elders uh, to continue to grow and shape that church, Lord. May they be a light and a beacon of of truth there in the uh, Milwaukee neighborhood, Lord, for many years to come through uh, what you are doing there in their midst. Finally, Father, we pray for ourselves. As we have gathered here this morning to hear from your word, we pray that it would work in our hard, stony hearts, that it would soften them, Lord, and that it would bear fruit that lasts for eternity. May we be a people who are passionate about your truth. In the name of your Son, we pray. Amen. Good morning, Mission Fellowship. It's good to be here with you this morning to worship our King through the reading of His Word, through prayer and song, and by proclaiming His gospel. And I would be remiss if I didn't give special recognition this morning to the moms in the room. So, happy Mother's Day, everyone. I really appreciated the uh, prayer, Nick, uh, highlighting uh, mothers and the gift that they are to the church. Um, And my encouragement to you this morning is whatever circumstance you're in, that God sees you where you're at, and he longs to be close to you and to comfort you, just as we'll see in today's text in Daniel 10. So we're going to look at that chapter here shortly, so you can go ahead and turn there. But let me introduce the text by way of a story. Do you guys eat cereal? Maybe some of you. I have what may be considered by some to be an unhealthy obsession with cereal. A few hearty amens. Perhaps some of you remember back when cereals were even more awesome than they are today. The best cereals would offer you something inside the box. You know, you would eat to the bottom of the bag and maybe you'd have to fight your siblings but there would be a little prize inside. And usually they were little trinkety things that would end up in the trash a week later. But occasionally they were worthwhile. One of my favorites was the collection of Lion King spoons that I had that changed colors in the cold milk. But even more rare was the offering of an item that could not fit into the cereal box. So you had to collect a certain number of box tops or UPC codes and mail them in along with that cardboard form that you had to cut out of the back of the cereal box. You had to make sure that you included the $5.95 shipping and handling fee. And over the years, I collected a handful of those types of items. But the set I remember the most was a set of cereal bowls that featured the Kellogg's brand of cereals. I remember my siblings and I must have eaten Rice Krispies and Raisin Bran for a year straight. But I put off every other breakfast food that hindered my goal. And I remained focused on obtaining the prize. And we had finally connect, collected enough of the box tops. My mom took us to the post office, and I was big enough to go into the post office by myself. And I took that envelope, and I dropped it in that little pull-down slot that was labeled out of town. Right? And I sent my request away. Now, in those days, we didn't have a fleet of, of Amazon Prime trucks that could deliver the item the next day. So I had to wait patiently for a response for my cereal bowls to arrive. And at that time, I wasn't quite old enough, though, to have a good sense of time. I'm sure it said, please allow six to eight weeks for processing. But that didn't really mean anything to me. I thought they should have gotten there the next day. 
So the days passed, and every day I'd run down to our mailbox expecting to get that package. And every day I was disappointed. I even got to the point where I asked my mom, Mom, are you sure you put the 595 in the envelope? She assured me that she had, so I just kept waiting and checking my mailbox. But I was starting to wonder if I was ever going to be able to enjoy Fruit Loops in a bowl that featured Toucan Sam. But finally, that glorious day came. A knock at the door, and I sprinted to see who it was. And there, in all of her angelic glory, was our post lady. And she was holding a box. She said, sorry about this. I'm not sure what happened. Hands it over. I tore open the box. I knew exactly what it was. It was my cereal bowls. There they are. A promise of the best to you each morning was fulfilled. My faith in big cereal was affirmed and rewarded. Perhaps some of you have had that experience of waiting for something, maybe even losing faith that it would ever arrive. And we find Daniel in a similar place. He probably didn't have frosted flakes, and his circumstance was much less trivial. So I've titled today's sermon, Prayer, the Best Practice for Those in Exile. Thematically, the section of text that we're coming to this morning is a continuation of the prophetic and visionary experiences that Daniel had, and it serves as an introduction to the last two chapters. From a literary standpoint, chapters 10, 11, and 12 make up a single unit, with chapter 10 serving as the introduction for the vision that Daniel has in chapters 11 and 12. So let's pick up in chapter 10, verse 1, and let's see where we find Daniel. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and had an understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My, radiance, my radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in a deep sleep with my face to the ground. Now, sometimes it's easy to read a big chunk of the Bible and think, yeah, this is weird. I'm out. Yes, this is weird. I agree with you. We're going to see some interesting stuff here, but let's look at this closely together. A couple things to keep in mind as we think about today's text. Remember, the chapters are not arranged in chronological order. They're arranged thematically, culminating in this final unit. So this last chapter would fall chronologically about three years after the vision of the 70 weeks and the lion's den. So you have chapter 5, the handwriting on the wall. Chapter 9, prophecy of the 70 weeks. Daniel's about 80 years old. Chapter 6, he's thrown into the lion's den at about the same time, 80 years old. And then about three years later, he has this final vision. 
So some time has passed since Daniel has had that vision that we looked at last week of the 70 weeks. And in those intervening years, a lot has happened on the geopolitical scene. The kingdom of Babylon has changed hands quickly from the Assyrian Nebuchadnezzar to his son Belshazzar. Then to Darius the Mede in chapter 9, who was the one who threw Daniel into the lion's den. And then now in chapter 10, Daniel begins, uh, brings it to our attention, beginning with the third year of Cyrus, the Persian. Now, if you had any anxious or worry, worrisome thoughts about the election cycles last year, it should be really easy for you to put yourself in Daniel's shoes. Imagine having four different rulers in eight years, sometimes having a foreign hostile government take over, and each of them with their own ideas about what to do with you and your people. And all of them are opposed to Yahweh. But through it all, Daniel remained faithful and loyal to Yahweh, but he also faithfully served each of the rulers that came into power. Now, I want to spend a good amount of time this morning looking at why Daniel was doing what he was doing, why he was mourning and fasting. Now, in verse 4, we see Daniel mention a specific date on the calendar. And this is the only time in Daniel that he cites a specific date on the calendar. It's interesting to note that the 20th uh, the 24th day of the first month, 24 Nisan on the traditional Jewish calendar, was dated to May 11th, uh, 535 BC. Historians have dated that very accurately. Now, why is this of significance? Well, it's interesting because it was, in fact, a Sabbath. So, this exact same weekend, 2,556 years ago, Daniel was fasting and praying by the river. And here's the point I'd like to draw out. Prayer is the exile's response to opposition and apathy. Prayer is the exile's response to opposition and apathy. Amen. Now, it's certainly an interesting historical coincidence that this weekend uh, matches up with the weekend we see in Daniel. But it actually points us to a couple of things that set the stage for the man in linen that appears in verse 5. And as we saw in chapters 8 and 9... Daniel, through diligent study of the word and prayer, and with the help of the angelic messenger Gabriel, has been reminded of God's promise that the Jewish exile will end after 70 years. At this point, Cyrus had released the Jewish people. So the Jews should have returned to Jerusalem, and the rebuilding of the temple should have been well underway. But this was not the case. There was only a slow trickle of Jews that had returned to Jerusalem. And the rebuilding of the, uh, and most of the exiles were apathetic about returning. Not only that, but the Jews that had remained in Judea were not happy to see the exiles returning. If any of you have seen the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, picture the blip, but instead of five years, it was 70 years. One other noteworthy piece of context is that the traditional Babylonian New Year's festival would have started on the first of the year, the first of Nisan. And it was recorded on ancient cuneiform tablets that during the New Year's festivities in Babylon, on the 4th of Nisan, exactly 21 days before the vision that Daniel sees in chapter 10, the son of King Cyrus, Cambyses II, went into the temple of the Babylonian god Marduk and performed the cultic rituals and sacrifices necessary to be affirmed as the king of Babylon. The ruling authority of Babylon affirmed and recommitted his opposition to Yahweh. 
Even though he is not mentioned by name in the Bible, we actually know a lot about, know a lot about Cambyses from secular history. He was acting as the king of Babylon in the eastern territories, kind of like the governor. And he was very antagonistic to all foreign religions, not just Judaism. And he was somewhat petty about how he handled them. Historian H.L. Jansen notes in his book about Cambyses that he entered the temple of one foreign god, which no one but the priest is allowed to do. He made fun of the images there, and he actually burnt them, end quote. He eventually took over as the king of all of Persia just a few years later, and he halted the reconstruction efforts of the temple. And it wasn't until he was out of power that the Jews were able to finally finish rebuilding the temple under Darius the Great. The last thing to note about this specific date being important is that Daniel's period of mourning coincided with the festival of Passover. This feast marks the deliverance of God's people from slavery and exile in Egypt. And I'm sure that as Daniel observed this festival for the 70th time away from the promised land without the temple, his heart was heavy for his people as they found themselves once again stuck in exile and slavery. Now Daniel looked at the opposition from without and the apathy from within, and it moved him to prayer. And Daniel models for all of the exiles what we ought to be doing. Multiple times throughout the book, Daniel is seen offering different types of prayer. Prayers of blessing and praise, prayers of supplication and mercy, prayers of confession and lament. If we consider all of the issues facing the church today, sexuality, racial reconciliation, immigration, protecting the sanctity of all life, definitions of marriage, in the family. When we consider these things, it becomes clear that we as a church are still living in exile among a people that disregard our king. And as your pastor, I start to worry when we elevate support of a certain political strategy over unity in the gospel. Now, I want you to hear me clearly on this. We are not children tossed to and fro by popular culture or populist politics. We stand firmly on the truth of God's word, and we submit to it alone as our authority. And because we have that firm foundation of God's word, we are then empowered to engage each other and the world, lovingly calling each other to walk in the truth. I'm reminded of the exhortation that Paul gives the Corinthians in the midst of trials in their church. This is from 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Brothers and sisters, do our conversations and our interactions reflect and model the love that God has so mercifully showed to us? I'm including myself in this. At times, I have been irritable or resentful with my brothers and sisters just because I disagree with the tack that they've taken. And I've assumed with my roommates, a.k.a. Sarah and the kids, that they do just what they do just to annoy me. 
Now, that's not love based on Paul's description. I mean, I may not be a smart man, but I know what love is. Or at least I know what it should be, according to God's word. Now, when we gather this week, I want us to ponder this question and think carefully about it. Does the world recognize us as exiles because of our love for each other? Does the world recognize us as exiles because of the love we have for each other? My exhortation is this. We are united in one body and one spirit. We are called to maintain that unity with humility and gentleness, patience and love. Friends, brothers, sisters, let us reinvigorate our conversations with charity and an assumption of good intent. And let us strive for empathy and understanding in all areas. Note Daniel's response throughout this entire book. He was in the employ of hostile governments, surrounded by folks who worship different gods, who were diametrically opposed to Yahweh. Yet he remained faithful and humble and loving. In fact, there was nothing his enemies could fault him on other than his faithfulness to Yahweh alone. Brothers and sisters, we will face plenty of opposition from those outside the church. But inside the church, let us love one another. Let us draw one another closer to Christ and closer to each other by loving one another in the truth. When Daniel observed the upcoming political opposition, he also observed the ongoing apathy of the Jewish people. Even though in the first year of Cyrus, like I noted, the king had allowed the Jews to go back to the promised land, and he had even sent them on their way with a good amount of supplies to rebuild the temple, relatively few of them elected to return. The Jews had been living in exile for 70 years, and the Lord had graciously allowed them to prosper. They had multiplied significantly in number, and yet only a small fraction of them had the passion and the zeal to return and rebuild. They had grown comfortable. They liked being among the Babylonians. And I wonder, brothers and sisters, are we like Daniel, eager for a return to the promised land? Or are we more like the Jews who chose to remain in exile? I know that I certainly had a season this past year of feeling comfortable in exile. It was easy not to practice hospitality. It was easy to stay home on Wednesday nights instead of rounding the kids up for community group. And moms, I'm sure you guys can relate to this. I call it the law of Beelzebub. It's the law that any child that can throw a fit on a Sunday morning right before church can and will throw a fit on Sunday morning right before church. So it becomes easier to think about not even coming to church. Or does that just happen to my family? I don't know. Now, I want to offer some personal conviction here with this point. Dad's in the room. How have we gotten comfortable in exile? Do we prioritize leading our families in family worship? Have we consistently modeled singing, praying, and reading through God's word together? Moms in the room, how have you gotten comfortable in exile? Have you prioritized 
taking care of your own walk with Jesus so that you can disciple your children well? And husbands, as a side note, how have you made space for your wife to be able to do this? Single men in the room, how have you gotten comfortable in exile? Do you prioritize the regular fellowship of more mature brothers to spur you on in godly growth? Have you guarded your hearts and your minds like they belong to Christ? Single women in the room, how have you gotten comfortable in exile? Have you prioritized and set aside time for relationships that will point you to Jesus? Have you leaned on the truth of God's word to shape your identity instead of listening to what the world tells you who or what you should be? What are the ways that we have grown comfortable in exile? You see, if we hang out in Babylon too long without the expectation of return to the promised land, our priorities will shift and we will become apathetic and we will lose our love for God and his people. So how did Daniel respond to this opposition and apathy? He intentionally engaged in prayer and fasting. I'm not going to comment exhaustively on fasting this morning, but I would commend a blog to you written by our brother Larry Grine. It's on our missionsalem.com website on the blog page. But I love how Daniel is bookended by the prophet modeling his faith in Yahweh through fasting. He's modeling for us by symbolically giving up the pleasures of Babylon, the choice meats, the wine, the creams and lotions. He's modeling what righteous exiles should do. In modeling righteous for us, Daniel also gives us a picture of one who is yet to come. You see, Jesus was also in exile. He was the perfect exile, in fact. Because of the sin of the first man and the first woman, the perfect kingdom that God had created for humankind to dwell in unity with him was ruined. And humans were exiled from that place. For generations, we were in exile, wandering in darkness until Jesus clothed himself in humanity and became an exile alongside of us. He was in all ways tempted like we are and yet remained without sin. He never gave in to the temptations that Babylon offered him. He remained faithful to the point of a terrible death. He was even rejected by his own people and murdered by a hostile government. And through it all, he never loses sight of his ultimate goal, which is returning a corrupt and exiled humanity to their creator God and repatriating a people who are holy and set apart for service to the Lord. And it is only by this pathway to citizenship made possible by Jesus giving his life on our behalf that we can be made right with our creator and allowed back into his perfect kingdom. And if you're thinking to yourself this morning, gee, I'd love to be part of that kingdom. I'd love to get out of exile someday. Well, congratulations, you're standing in the embassy right now. You see, the church is filled with ambassadors for the kingdom of heaven. Our allegiance isn't to the flag. Our allegiance isn't to our country. Our ultimate allegiance is to God alone. If you want to know more about what being part of the kingdom 
being part of God's family means and looks like. Please come to talk to one of us pastors after the service. We'd love to welcome you in and disciple you. Now that we have some of the historical context of where Daniel is coming from, let's look at what conclusions we can draw from the rest of the, tra- the chapter. Let's go back to Jan- Daniel chapter 10, and I want to pick up in verse 4. Verse 4. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Ufaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled and hid themselves. So I was left alone. And saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. And then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. Now, this is quite the scene that Daniel paints for us here. Notice it says that he lifted up his eyes as he was praying, and there was a man before him. This wasn't an ordinary man, as you can tell from the description. The theological term for this is a Christophany. Basically, what Daniel sees is the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, with all of his power and glory before he existed as the human Jesus of Nazareth. And I think there are a couple of clues that give this away, which I'll show you here in a second. But here's the point. Prayer helps the exile see Jesus clearly. Prayer helps the exile see Jesus clearly. Daniel had intentionally taken the previous, three, the previous three weeks to remove distractions and seek God through prayer. Jesus then reveals himself to Daniel in a big way. So much so that it literally makes him, it says, his, his appearance was changed. He's white as a sheet, and then he falls flat on his face. He literally passes out. Let's look at some parallels here. Turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17, and I want to look at verse 1 through 8 here. It says this. You guys will catch up to me. Matthew 17. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah, talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them and saying, Rise and have no fear. And they lifted up their eyes and saw no one but Jesus only. Jesus takes his closest disciples up on that high mountain to be by themselves. The intimation is this text in this text is that Jesus is removing the distractions of his ministry so that he and his disciples can spend some intentional time observing the Sabbath and praying together. And what happens on that hill? 
Jesus is transfigured. His appearance is changed. His clothes become like a white light, and God speaks, and the disciples hear it, and they fall on their faces. Go ahead and turn with me to the Revelation. The Revelation chapter 1. It's at the very end of your Bibles there. And I'm going to start in verse 10. Revelation 1, 10. And this is John, the same John that we just saw in Matthew, who's writing this. He writes, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, saying, Write what you see in a book, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, and to Smyrna, and to Pergamum, and to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held the seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. John, who remember in Matthew 17, had just seen Jesus transfigured that day on that mountain, describes what he sees. And now John, he would have been familiar with Daniel, so it's possible that he may have been simply heavily drawing on Daniel's description. But even if he is, it should make the point even more obvious. John was one of Jesus' best friends. He had seen Jesus transfigured, He had seen Jesus resurrected, and now he is identifying the one who is to come, Jesus, with that same character that Daniel sees in Daniel chapter 10. And notice what John's response is. He falls at Jesus' feet as though dead. To carry forward the main idea from last Sunday, Jesus is the answer. When we consider the thematic ordering of the book of Daniel, it becomes clear that that center point, that hinge of the book, is the appearance of the Son of Man in chapter 7. But the climax is actually right here in chapter 10, when Jesus appears to Daniel, and it confirms to Daniel all that he has seen and borne witness to. And so when we adopt a posture of humility by removing the things that distract us, removing the comforts of exile, and when we commit ourselves to prayer and to an understanding of God's word, Jesus becomes so evident and obvious in our lives. As Daniel mourned and prayed, his focus was on the promise of God, that God would one day rebuild the temple and restore his chosen people. He didn't accuse God. He sought understanding. And if you put yourself in Daniel's shoes, you can hear the words of Jeremiah in their true context. It says this, For thus says the Lord, When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, 
plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. In Daniel, we see a posture of humility and seeking understanding. And unlike Daniel, though, we will probably never see a Christophany, not in this lifetime. We will most likely never be visited by angels with special messages just for us. But we have something that Daniel never experienced, and that is the Holy Spirit poured out on us and on the church. The very Spirit of God dwells in us and among us as we continue to humble ourselves before God and ask him to give us understanding. Brothers and sisters, what does your prayer life look like? Do you regularly commit to distraction-free times of seeking the Lord through prayer and his word? What barriers do you need to overcome to make this a part of your spiritual discipline? Now, if you're at all like me, it's easy to find anything and everything to distract yourself. For me, the biggest two things I like to do is read the news and look at basketball highlights. So I took the simple step of deleting Twitter from my phone. It was a simple step that removed a huge distraction for me as I tried to engage in prayer in the study of God's word. Tell someone this week what you're doing to remove the things that are distracting you from prayer. Make that a priority. So what about the cereal bowls? Why did I tell you that story? Let's read the rest of Daniel 10 to make a couple more connections. Flip back to Daniel 10, and I'm going to pick it up in verse 10. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright. For now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up, trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me twenty-one days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia, and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision is four days yet to come. When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke and said to him who stood before me, O my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me, and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me and no breath is left in me. Again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man, greatly loved, fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, Do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. So again, it's a big chunk of text where it's like, hmm, this is weird. I'm out. 
But let's look at this together. Here's the main idea. Prayer gives the exile strength to endure. Prayer gives the exile strength to endure. No, it's not eating cereal out of a special bowl that strengthens us. It's a continued commitment to prayer and the word that strengthens us. It says, from the moment Daniel set his heart to understand and humbled himself before the Lord, his prayers were heard. The minute Daniel intentionally sought the Lord, his request was heard. Now, this should be a huge encouragement to us because the same is true for us. Now, I want to give the rooted kids and Kelton and Britt and Rachel and Colby a shout out here. They've been diligently reading through the Bible. And I know that recently they were reading through the Chronicles. And I'm so proud of the, the habits they're developing. I knew this was going to be the point where I had this. I'm so proud of the habits they're developing in studying God's Word. And I hope that they know from that age that the Lord hears their prayers because they are humble and seeking understanding through God's word together. So I hope that this reference is familiar to them. In 2 Chronicles, Solomon is dedicating the temple. The temple represents the physical location on earth that the spirit of the Lord would dwell. And the Lord speaks to Solomon and he tells him that if God's people who are called by his name would humble themselves and pray and seek his face, and turn from their wicked ways, then God would forgive them and heal their land. Yahweh also says that his ears will be open and attentive to the prayers that are made in the temple. Now this is especially significant for Daniel because the temple was still destroyed. It didn't even exist at this time. And yet, God tells Daniel, I heard your prayers. The minute you offered it, I heard you. And we know today that God's temple, the place God's spirit dwells, is in and through his holy church. We have the same assurance and confidence that Daniel was given, that when we pray, God hears us. But we see from our text that Daniel's prayer, even though it was heard the second it was offered, it took three weeks for God to get him an answer. So why the delay? Now, there's a diversity of opinions on this part of chapter 10, and there are a couple different ways to look at it. I'm going to give you my best opinion slash interpretation with the humility that this is a way to look at it. And I think the hand that touches Daniel in verse 10 and the being that speaks to him in the following verses is an angel, perhaps Gabriel, the messenger angel that Daniel has already spoken with, not the same man we've identified as Jesus, who was described in the previous verses. So, Jesus shows up as the man in linen, Daniel passes out, then he wakes back up at some point later in verse 10, apparently only after being revived by this angelic figure. Remember, this guy Daniel is in his mid-80s. And the, Daniel tells, or the angel tells Daniel, hey, I'm sorry, you were probably wondering when you were going to get an answer. You sent your prayers away three weeks ago, but I got held up. The prince of Persia was messing with me. So the timing of this is really important to note here. We saw at the beginning of the chapter, Daniel was in mourning and prayer for three weeks. And we see here that this messenger was delayed exactly three weeks. 
And remember, exactly three weeks earlier, the king of Babylon, Cambyses, entered the temple of Marduk, the chief god of the Babylonians, and sacrificed to him. Now, for all these things to be happening at the same, same time is more than coincidental. We don't have time to delve too deep in this today, but there is evidence that each geopolitical kingdom on earth throughout the history of the earth, including our beloved USA, has some sort of evil spiritual being behind it and exerting influence on it in opposition to God and his people. Now, the term prince of the kingdom of Persia in the original language, carries strong connotations to a spiritual being. And in view of it appearing in parallel with Michael, one of the chief princes, it would appear that this angelic being was definitely not on the side of Michael and Yahweh. Now, if there was a change-up in Babylonian political leadership to one that was even more hostile to Yahweh, more opposed to his plan for his people, it makes sense that God's messenger was hung up in some sort of spiritual bureaucracy or battle and delayed in getting the message to Daniel. Now, this in no way should challenge the sovereignty of God. In fact, this should give us more confidence confidence in his sovereignty because ultimately the messenger made it to Daniel and was able to encourage him and therefore able to encourage us all these years later. Yahweh has given Satan, the accuser, and the angels that followed him out of heaven Limited and temporary authority here on earth. We see this illustrated really well in the book of Job. But God's plans and purposes, especially for his people, still ultimately prevail. Colossians 2 tells us that Jesus has disarmed these evil powers and put them to open shame by his death on the cross and his subsequent resurrection. And so finally, to this section of text, it seems like after three weeks, Michael, the archangel, comes to support this other messenger so that Daniel can get the message. Now, at face value, this might make some of us uncomfortable, especially those of us who were raised on the 1990s prestige drama Touched by an Angel. But this is what God's word tells us is happening behind the scenes, and so we trust that it's true. But this should be encouraging to us because God ultimately delivers. I mean, if I were Daniel and I had been praying for three weeks straight, just as I was waiting for those cereal bowls to arrive, I would have become discouraged. But then, after receiving the answer that, actually, we heard you right away. It was just that God's enemies were interfering. That would be a huge encouragement to me for the next time. To keep enduring through those seasons when it feels like my prayers are going unanswered. Those difficult seasons where it's like, ah, God, where are you? Are you even listening? Yes, he is. There are things that are happening that we don't understand and cannot see. Now, I want you to make this note in your notes to check out Luke 18. Put a big star by it. Check out Luke 18 on your own later today or this week. It's an insightful parable on prayer, but we don't have time to get to it this morning. Where I want us to go instead is to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. Matthew, Mark, in the New Testament, chapter 9. We were just there a year ago. Feels like yesterday. And so Jesus and his closest friends were just coming down from that high mountain that we saw earlier in Matthew 17, where Jesus was transfigured. 
And they came down the mountain, and they came to the other disciples, and there was a big commotion. There was a boy that had been demon-possessed since he was a child, and this possession had made him deaf, mute, and epileptic. Now, Jesus' disciples had done many healings previously to this point, but this time they were unable to drive this demon out. And so Jesus shows up, and here's what happens, starting in verse 25. And when Jesus saw the crowd, that a crowd had came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And we had, when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out but by anything but prayer. The similarities between this demonic power and the demonic power Daniel was made aware of are striking. And the story is striking too. Jesus comments that this kind, referring to the demon, can only be driven out by prayer. So if Jesus is able to just cast this demon out, he must have been up on that mountain praying. But more specifically, he must have been praying for the salvation of God's people and for the healing and restoration from exile, spiritually. Ostensibly, the only reason Daniel ever even got this message was because he continued to pray for the salvation and healing of God's people. And what an encouragement this message has been to God's people for millennia. There is a spiritual reality in our world that we cannot see and only sometimes get a glimpse into through God's word. And I have wondered this week if Paul had Daniel 10 in mind as he was writing to the church in Ephesus. Not only because he had an experience like Daniel getting knocked to his face by seeing the risen Christ, but also because of what he writes in Ephesians chapter 6. And it says this, We went too far. There we go. Starting in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore. See how many times he's affirming him to stand, just like the angel was affirming Daniel to stand up. Having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes on your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. See how many times he encourages prayer there? Paul is drawing our attention to the reality that Daniel just experienced. Then he reminds us, pray, and then pray some more, and then pray some more with endurance. 
And in doing so, in engaging in prayer, we are waging warfare on the enemy. But we're not doing it by attacking the enemy directly. We're doing it by praying for and supporting one another. Brothers and sisters, have you been waging the good warfare by the reading of God's word and praying for one another? I would highly encourage members of this church, stopping just short of telling you you have to, to regularly pray through the member directory. As citizens in God's kingdom, we are also conscripted into his army to do battle with the enemy by praying for one another. Stand firm on God's word and in prayer so that when those delays happen, when we are faced with trials of many kinds, when our prayers seem to go unanswered, you will have the strength to endure. I love what Pastor H.G. Rasmussen said in his teaching on Mark 9. Wow, that one hit pretty hard. When we encounter spiritual struggles, spiritual warfare, the battle between the kingdoms of light and darkness, life and destruction, we are bound to experience what we deem spiritual setbacks. But rather than beating ourselves up or feeling ashamed for not having gotten as far in our Christian walk as we once thought, this is actually a time to rejoice in the gracious mercy of God. Not that he is the source of the darkness, but that in those dark times, he would use what Satan means for evil to remind us of our complete reliance upon him. Spiritual struggles become the setting for spiritual setbacks, and thus they also become the setting for spiritual growth as we rely more on Christ. I love that quote. The last point is this. Prayer reminds the exile that they are beloved citizens of a different kingdom. Prayer reminds the exile that they are beloved citizens of a different kingdom. I love the reminders that the messenger gives Daniel. And it's the same message that God has for each of us. The first words out of his mouth were, Oh, Daniel, man, greatly loved. And then again in verse 19, he calls Daniel, A man greatly loved. And he encourages him to be strong and courageous. God loves his creation so much that he willingly put on flesh and bore our guilt and shame, nailing them to the cross in a victorious death so that we might be called sons and daughters of God. Has it registered deep in our hearts and in our minds that the creator of the universe gave his very life to achieve reconciliation between himself and humanity? Brothers and sisters, do you know that you are loved? Brothers and sisters, have you affirmed God's love in one another? And I can't say any better than C.H. Spurgeon. He said, The love of God makes a hero of the man on whom it is fixed. He is in the thick of the fray. He defies sin, death, and hell. He will burn for Christ. He would be ready to burn a thousand times when once he was assured that he was the object of the peculiar love of God and, like Daniel, could be addressed as a man greatly beloved. Brothers and sisters, if you have made Jesus your king this morning, you can rest assured that you are 
the object of that peculiar love of God. And so we end our time this morning here with a rich context for the vision that Daniel will see in the next two chapters. And brothers and sisters, when we face trials of many kinds, we should pray. That prayer will help us to see Jesus clearly. That prayer will help us to endure faithfully. And that prayer reminds us that we are beloved citizens of God's kingdom. Now, mission, hear the words of Jude. Mission Fellowship, you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. 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 Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for giving us your servant Daniel to model faithfulness in exile. And as we move towards a time of communion, as we reflect on your goodness, on your mercy, on your grace, empower us by your spirit to walk in truth. In your name we pray, amen.